This is Terms of Reference. I'm your host, Stephen Laddick. So let's say that you had a great idea for a commercial product or service that ultimately grew into a fairly large, sustainable, and profitable company. Would you be the type of founder entrepreneur who would step back and say to yourself, I wonder how we might give back some of the success we've had to help solve some of the world's more important problems? Luckily for everyone, that's exactly what the folks that started Tableau Software have done through the Tableau Foundation. In this, the 127th episode of the Terms of Reference podcast, I speak with Neil Myrick and Steve Schwartz. Neil is the Director of Social Impact at Tableau Software and the Director of the Tableau Foundation. Steve is the Marketing Manager for Tableau Software's social impact efforts and supports the Tableau Foundation's work. Steve is also a co-founder of Upaya Social Ventures, a nonprofit incubator that is building businesses and creating jobs in India's poorest communities. Specifically, we focus our conversation on how Tableau has partnered with PATH to create the Visualize No Malaria campaign, and how Tableau's software contributes to this campaign through data analysis and visualization support. I spoke with Neil and Steve in Seattle. And hey, before we dive into the episode, if you like what you're hearing, take a moment to open up iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or, or whatever your podcast app happens to be, and click on subscribe. Also consider giving the show a rating because it really does help us. And finally, please consider sharing this episode or the podcast on Facebook or Twitter to help others get in on making aid and development better. Now on to the show with Neil and Steve. Hello, Neil and Steve. Thank you so much for being on the Terms of Reference podcast today. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, so, great to be here. Yeah, so we have, uh, an, for the second time in, our, in, in the podcast history, we actually have two people on the line at the same time. Neil and Steve, why don't you just introduce yourself so that we know who we're talking to here right off the bat. Great. My name is Neil Myrick. I am the Director of Social Impact at Tableau, and I also am the Director of Tableau Foundation. And I'm Steve Schwartz. I am a manager on Neil's team. Uh, do a lot of the marketing and outreach work for uh, Tableau's social impact efforts. And where do we find both of you guys sitting today? We are in beautiful, sunny Seattle, Washington, which I know most people don't expect. But after a few days of rain, the clouds broke, and it's a lovely, sunny afternoon. I gotta say, you know, that's that's gotta be beautiful in October. Uh, Fantastic. <laughs> uh, I would, and, and I'm sitting in lovely gray, overcast, rainy Bangkok. That's, that's great. <laughs> so I have my morning coffee. You guys are looking at beers. That's fantastic. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we start out, you know, we can't assume that everybody knows what Tableau is. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have used the software. It's, it's actually being used in a, in a number of large organizations in the humanitarian aid development world. Why don't we start? Just tell us what Tableau is and you know, sort of what its core service is. Sure. Tableau is a software company headquartered in Seattle, Washington. We were founded by three people out of Stanford. One of them actually is Pat Hanrahan, who um, is an Academy Award winner uh, for the work that he did with Pixar on movies like Toy Story. You've officially um, put me two degrees of separation with an Academy Award winner. I love it. Thank see, you. we love doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a professor at Stanford now. Um, one of his doctoral students, Chris Stolte, worked with him on you know, creating a way to make it easier for people to uh, work with their data. Christian Chabot, our CEO, joined them and uh, started Tableau back around 2003. And the mission is to help people see and understand their data. A way to think about that is we're a software company, we develop software products, and we make those products a really breakthrough products that change the way people use data. Uh, we make it easy for people to connect to data, we make it easy for people to build beautiful visualizations with it. And uh, what we're seeing just both as a company and then our social impact work is taking data out of the kind of historical realm of being in columns and rows in things like Excel and putting it into beautiful interactive dashboards helps people ask more questions of it and explore their curiosity with data. So what's your favorite commercial application that you're allowed to talk about? Can you give me a real specific example? You put us on the spot a little bit here. <laughs> um, sorry. We, we, <laughs> talk about, we talk about social impact stuff and now we're like, oh man, we have to talk about commercial stuff? Well, I, just, you know, I thought, hey, so we're talking about Tableau, maybe, you know, I don't know, I'm sure you work for lots and lots of big commercial organizations out there, you know, is it 7-Eleven can see where all their hot dogs are or, you know, I don't know, is, is there is there something that, that Tableau holds up as its sort of flagship visualization? 
You know, there are lots of them. There's one that's sort of my favorite kind of out of the commercial world. So Tableau has more than 46,000 customers around the world. Just a small community. Uh, just a small community. Um, about 90% of the Fortune 500 use Tableau. And then lots and lots of very small kind of small businesses and mom and pop shops. So we really cover the whole gamut of very small all the way up to very large organizations using Tableau. One of my favorite stories comes out of uh, one of the branches of our military, um, which is kind of funny because I usually don't talk about stuff like that. But uh, what was cool about it is it's a branch of the military that um, moves you know, heavy equipment around the world all the time. Uh, I remember hearing a guy tell a story about how they had been using a different product. They invested millions of dollars in it and never really got things working. And this particular guy went in with Tableau um, and he said, you know what, let's connect Tableau to this data set and let's see what we can do. And what had taken like three years with a different product to really produce nothing, in three days, this guy was able to actually produce a really great set of visualizations that helped all these different units of the military branch understand sort of how, when, and where they were moving stuff around the world. So what he said was that, you know, they would have meetings and it would be sort of, they'd have like 30 different PowerPoint presentations and each division would go through its PowerPoint and talk about what they were doing, moving this equipment around the world, sort of its status, you know, all kinds of information about it. And he said what he was able to do with Tableau was to go in and actually take all the information that was communicated in those kind of siloed PowerPoint presentations, put it into a single visualization that then really showed all of that information together. And it drove a lot of really increased collaboration with each of those divisions and dramatically improved sort of how they talk about and make decisions around moving all this really heavy, expensive equipment around the world. Mm. Um, and the thing I liked about that is it was like a three-day effort to get started on his part. It collapsed 32 PowerPoint presentations down into a single visualization, and it drove collaboration that added sort of better decision-making and efficiency for that particular military branch. I love it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the story one step further. Because in my mind, when I think visualization, right, I'm, I'm thinking Tom Cruise is sitting in, you know, the situation room somewhere and up pops this visualization of, hey, where are my assets, you know, and, you know, you're able to sort of put your hand in the air and you move the screen around and it shows you how that will affect things in the future and stuff. I mean, could that be possible in your future? I believe so. It's my own personal belief. I haven't seen anything like that. No, I don't think it exists. But, but I mean, in the consumer's mind, right, in the, in the, in the layperson's mind, like, that's what we want, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We actually have a visualization here in one of our buildings that's on a giant touchscreen monitor. And it basically shows a map of where you are. It's a Tableau visualization. It shows a map of where you are. It shows the location of all the parking spots and restaurants. And you can use, you can touch it. And you can sort of get more information on each of the restaurants. You can pick out where you want to go. Mm. And it's a giant, like, 60-inch screen. It's a 2016 version of what you're talking about with Tom Cruise. I love it. I, well, see, I, I like to keep reminding people that we actually are and have been in the Jetsons for, you know, 15 years now. Everybody keeps waiting for the Jetsons to happen, but we're already there. Doors open by themselves. You put food in a little box and it cooks it. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. We even call the the Roomba at our house Rosie just yeah, because of that exact. <laughs> That's fantastic. Exactly. Nice. Successful commercial organization. It's been around for, it sounds, 13 years now. But you, gentlemen, are focused on something called the Tableau Foundation. What was the genesis of the foundation? How did that happen? And, and what's its focus? That is something that our founders actually have always wanted to do from the beginning of the company. We have certain sort of all company objectives. And number five is actually supporting our communities. So it's something that's really built into the culture. And what they did is they really waited until the right time in the life cycle of, this, of the company to start investing people and resources into that supporting community's mission in a really sort of intentional and concentrated way. And that actually started taking shape in 20, 2012. And the company made some financial donations and some pre-IPO stock donations that were matched by our founders. So those were made to a local community foundation. When Tableau went public in 2013, all of that stock was sold, and that really created a fund from which we 
make our grants. And then I was working at Tableau at the time, but in 2014 is when I was hired to work with all of our employees to really start building the foundation from the ground up. And so it really was 2012 funded, 2012 and 2013 sort of funded and announced. And then we really in earnest got working on it in 2014. Okay. So a little more than two years old. Take us to, you know, you know, you're a data visualization company. So the assumption is, is that the foundation will focus on how do we use data visualization to help those in need, how to help humanitarian aid organizations, help development organizations. What's your favorite story? What, you know, give us an example of how that, how that plays out. Oh man, I have so many favorite stories. <laughs> so just a little bit of background that'll make add context for this. So our mission as a foundation is to encourage the use of facts and analytical reasoning to solve the world's problems. And one thing that was really interesting to me is I, as soon as I was moved into this role, I started calling everybody and anybody I knew. My background is I was in high tech for about half my career, and then I was in the nonprofit space, uh, still doing technology stuff for about half my career. So I called everybody I knew. I said, Tableau is starting a foundation. We have three assets that we can deploy in service of our mission. It's people, product, and money. And I said, you know, we really want to have true social impact. We don't want to do just kind of the corporate CSR, kind of tossing money everywhere thing. We really want to invest and have real impact and, you know, move the ball downfield on some important problems. How do we do that? What's our what priorities, do you think? Pretty much everybody I talked to said, number one, you need to get your product out there because your product has the potential to be transformative. They said, number two, you have to get your people out there because nonprofits often lack the capacity and skills they need to use data well. And then number three, they said, you'll never be able to spend enough money to move the dial on a big world problem anyway. So money's helpful, but really not as powerful as your product and your people. And that's really played out exceptionally well in our grant making. We've really followed that advice. We're seeing that it's looking like, you know, it's really proving to be true, um, which is great. So how do, each one um, of those, how do each one of those levers work? So do you offer either a, a low cost or no cost version of Tableau to, let's say, you know, small NGOs or aid agencies? Yeah. Do you do, do, you do pro bono work with your, with, your, with your staff? And then obviously you said you've got a grant program. So what, what are the actual mechanisms? Yeah, I'll go through a quick rundown of kind of our stack of programs um, and speak to each of those points. So we did, the first thing we implemented, we had a lot of really eager employees who wanted to do good work in the world. So the first thing we implemented was kind of your standard employee matching grant and volunteering program. So we match donations employees make to nonprofits they care about. And if they volunteer, we also send a match at about $20 an hour for each hour they volunteer at a nonprofit. That's a way to really represent the broadest passion of our employee base. So we allow employees to give any time during the year to nearly any type of nonprofit that they care about. We then launched a community grant program. We have offices in many cities around the world, and we allow each office to have a budget and they can do local community grant making. One thing that we do uniquely there is oftentimes what we heard when we were talking with people in communities is that when companies give grants, they often have an agenda. So they're trying to push an agenda on the community. Like people expected us to be only giving grants that supported computer technology projects or data projects or STEM or something like that. Uh, what we decided to do that's different is we realize that as members of the community, we need to respect the priorities of the community and the, the culture and so on. And so our grants are unrestricted. We build a portfolio of grants in our communities that really help build the health, vibrancy, and uh, safety of the community. So when you look at our community grants, they're really broad. It could be arts, education, environment. It's really a nice portfolio that really adds to the community. And then we have, we launched in terms of sort of following the advice we got on the products and people size, we launched a program called Tableau for Nonprofits. It's in partnership with TechSoup. That allows small nonprofits in 192 countries to get Tableau desktop uh, virtually for free. There's a small administrative charge that TechSoup charges, but uh, the software license itself is, is no cost. And uh, one thing we, we also did different with that program is 
a lot of times I came out of the high tech industry. A lot of times when nonprofits get free technology from technology companies, it doesn't come with support or any kind of help. It's kind of like, here's your technology. You got it for free. So good luck. We took a different approach. So all of our licenses that we donate, they come with full tech support, um, all upgrades. But then we took it a step further and we launched a program called the Tableau Service Corps. And it's C-O-R-P-S, kind of like Peace Corps. Tableau Service Corps essentially is a core of Tableau enthusiasts who volunteer to help nonprofits actually get value out of the Tableau licenses that they get. Are these members of the the user base of the Tableau community can contribute? So they're not Tableau employees? They are. They're right now we're about we started with Tableau employees just so we could get the bugs worked out before we involved our partners. So we're about 75% employees and about 25% are customers and business partners. That's cool. So you you've, you've extended the foundation into the community as well. That's that's pretty sweet. Yes, it's awesome. And it it's amazing, you know, the way we look at it is we're actually enabling people in companies to do skills-based volunteering in our case, using Tableau. And uh, the feedback that we're getting from the volunteers is really stellar in terms of both their personal satisfaction uh, doing something good in the world, and then also their professional development. They feel that, you know, doing something that's outside of their normal business function is really actually helping them personally develop as employees, not only at Tableau, but whatever company they're working at. So those two programs are rolled out simultaneously. They're available worldwide. And then the mission grant program is really our last program in that stack. And that mission program is one that we we take the the solving world problems part of our mission very seriously. Um, And we look for nonprofits around the globe who are doing something really innovative with data to advance their mission or transform how they go about advancing their mission. And so we do a handful of those a year. And those grants are a combination of financial support, software, services, training, and volunteers. So what we've really found out is we become capacity builders. So we essentially partner with an NGO, a nonprofit, to help them build the capacity to use data to advance their mission. The question I want to start with is, we talk a lot about data on this show. We talk a lot mm-hmm. about any kind of data, right? Mobile data, big data, you know, using data, data analytics. When you showed up as the foundation in the nonprofit humanitarian aid world, what did you find? Did you find that you were able to sort of walk into, you know, let's say, like a large NGO or an international organization and say, hey, we want to be able to partner with you on this? And there was a conversation already and there was, you know, clearly identified ways you, you could work together? Or did you meet with blank stares? Or what was the... You know, what sort of ecosystem did you come into? That is a really great question. (laughs) It actually is one of my favorite stories. So the short answer to your question is there are NGOs out there in the world who understand the potential value of data, who reach out to us and basically say, we really want to partner with you because we think you can help transform how we're going about solving our problem. My favorite story is actually has led to one of our most important partnerships. So literally within about four months after starting up the foundation, I met with an international health organization here in Seattle called PATH. And they've been around for 40 years. They do amazing, innovative global health work um, in more than 70 countries. And I met with a woman, one of their VPs, and we were chit-chatting and she was talking about how she really believed that if PATH could use data more effectively, it could really help them advance some of their objectives. And I remember the moment she leaned over the table and she looked me in the eye and she said, how would you like to help us eliminate malaria in Zambia? And you went, holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Crap was the nice word that I said in my head. Because it, like, how many people get asked that question, right? So I was stunned. And what I loved about that question, it wasn't, we need a billion dollars to fight malaria. It wasn't, you know, give us your software. It was, how would you like to help us? And that really set the tone for really the way we engage with our nonprofit partners. 
They're deep engagements. We work together to solve problems. We bring our core assets and our core competencies to the table. They bring theirs, we're equals, and we go about really trying to solve the, the problem. So right now, and for the last almost two years now, we've been deeply engaged with PATH in helping the Ministry of Health of Zambia use data to really transition from sort of implementing a bunch of malaria control strategies to actually implementing strategies for malaria elimination. It's been fascinating to be a part of it. We've learned a lot as a company. Um, and the latest news is that the data is showing in the last two rainy seasons in the province where we're piloting, they're piloting a bunch of elimination strategies. They've had a 93% decline in malaria cases. 93%? That is blind. Give us some specifics, whatever you can, about this particular project. I, I love learning more about them, put, you know, putting meat on the bones. Love the gory details. So, it's, so, it's a, so you walk into the ministry, and was it, you know, was it, again, that it had PATH already sort of set the tone that the ministry was ready for this, that they, you know, they got a data center there, they know where their data is coming from. Did you have to work and like, oh my God, here's 10,000 spreadsheets, we've got to consolidate these, you know, oh, you're not even collecting data. Or was it the case of, they've, you know, their, their data is warehoused in places that just isn't being accessed? Like, g- give us some details about what is it that you've actually done to move that needle. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that we've learned is really effective for us is we understand the value of our core competency and the limits of our capacity. So we know nothing about malaria, right? I bet you do now, but anyway. We know a lot more now than we did two years ago. I have a team of three, so I can't be flying people all over the world to work directly with all these ministries and figure all this out. So that's it's really the value of these these shared value partnerships that we developed. PATH was already in Zambia doing malaria control work. They already sort of had an understanding of the data flows and what the needs and challenges were. We brought in our core competency. So we sat at the table with them. We helped them sort of learn, number one, just about Tableau and how to use the tool we provided training to their staff as well as the Ministry of Health staff, but they're the ones who actually are doing the implementation on the ground, and they're the ones interfacing with the Ministry of Health. And the situation they were up against is there's kind of a methodological shift that they made, and then the data side. So the methodological shift that they were proposing is if people don't know, so malaria is caused by a parasite. Humans are the reservoir for the parasite. So I think more than 80% of the people who actually carry the malaria parasite are symptom-free. So they're not showing any signs of malaria. So what that means, if I walk from village one to village two, I have the parasite in me. I may not be showing symptoms, but if a mosquito bites me, it'll pick up the parasite and give it to somebody else. And that person may get sick and die. So fighting malaria has been incredibly difficult because people are the reservoirs. What PATH proposed to the Ministry of Health is, you know, instead of making people who get, instead of treating people only who get sick, who walk from their village to a community health center, let's disperse community health workers throughout the southern province of Zambia. Let's give them the ability to do diagnostics so they can find out who have the parasite. And let's give them the authorization to deliver medicine to kill the parasite. And it's risky, right? Because a lot of the community health workers, they're not, you know, full-on professionally trained health professionals. And so it was a risk to give them the authority to do diagnostics and disperse medicine. But, sure. And, but um, you know, for most of the people listening to this show, that's, that's standard ops for rural Africa, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So they agreed to do it. They fanned out these community health workers throughout about 1,200 of them throughout the southern province of Zambia. And so when somebody was diagnosed with malaria in a village, the community health worker would test everybody else and give medicine to anybody else who had the parasite, effectively killing the parasite in all the reservoirs that were in that village. So that was the, one of the many sort of methodological clinical changes that they made to really move toward trying to eliminate the parasite from the country. On the data side, what was interesting is data was in some cases still being collected on paper hand-typed into Excel, and then moved in some math method into something like Access, and then into a data warehouse of some sort. 
So it took a very long time for the data to get to its ultimate destination. There were data quality issues, of course, because there's less you know, stuff lost in translation. So they started working with other partners to implement mobile devices to do data collection. They used Tableau. They built a rubric around like measuring data quality from each of the community health centers. And they had, I think, five different metrics. It was, something, it was a cleanliness, like how clean was the data, how accurate was it, was it timely, and, that, and a couple of other things. So they used Tableau to measure the quality. They worked with a partner to implement mobile devices to collect data uh, in a more standard way using mobile devices. So they improved the whole data pipeline. And they still had to do a bunch of data transformation to get it prepared to be reported on, and they're still working on that. But it's really been this tremendous you know, two-year effort to really get to a point where data is collected electronically, it's collected in a timely and accurate manner, put into a data warehouse so that the data can actually be visualized and decisions can get made sort of for how, when, and where to intervene. Here's something that I sort of attached myself to while you were, where you were describing that process. You know, you gave us an example at the beginning of the show where you had a client come in and in three days they transformed, you know, 30 spreadsheets into one presentation and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, it was this sort of, let's not say dramatically quick, but relatively rapid process of, of going, <laughs> right. you know, of, of going, yeah, going from this cumbersome spreadsheet driven, you know, disparate data process to, to one that was, you know, moving the process along. And yet when you're talking about how this is implemented in, in the case of the malaria, you said, hey, this has been a two year journey, right? What are the bigger challenges there that you've encountered as the foundation, as, as the as the data visualization provider, is it, has it just been the conversation of getting people to accept that tapping data into a tablet is, is, you know, you can actually store that data becomes the data of record. Have you eliminated paper records entirely? Um, was there, is it not a resistance issue, but a capacity issue? What, you know, what, what were some of maybe the one or two big challenges that have taken that, that two year leap? So uh, this is Steve and I'll jump in a little bit here. Okay, because this is actually my favorite part of the story. Oh, great. Um, Man, take it. You know, I think it, to, to point to Neil's analogy earlier with the, with the military, you know, that was uh, an organization that had a culture of, of analysis already in place. You had folks who were used to receiving and making decisions based on data. And albeit they had a slower system for doing it, Tableau allowed them to really quickly upgrade that. I think what's been most interesting in Zambia is it's been a lot of rebuilding a, a culture of analysis and not necessarily at the ministerial level. I mean, the Ministry of Health in Zambia has been a terrific partner for PATH and very receptive. You know, there, there's definitely the desire to bring data-informed decision-making into things at the, at the national and provincial uh, level. What's been most fascinating in this process, though, is the way it's rebuilt a culture of data among the community health workers. You know, you had one of the, Neil mentioned briefly, you had community health workers and there was a lot of data quality issues with what they were reporting. Well, the reality was for a lot of them, they had maybe done survey work in the past. They had process that they were completing, but information only moved in one way. So they would fill out their form. It would go off to a district health center, provincial health center, and they would never hear back on it. And there would never really be any implications Mm -hmm. for their day-to-day work. And one of my favorite parts of the story is the first time they went back to some of the community health workers and said, well, this is what you told us a couple of weeks ago. This doesn't line up with what you're telling us now. And it was to hear the the staff in Zambia describe it. I mean, the light bulb went off for a lot of these health workers. For the first time, they were really part of a proper feedback loop. And they were using data to as an input to inform their decision-making rather than just as an output, something that they were required by process to submit. And so I think that's probably why it's taken longer in Zambia. But at the same time, because they were really able to build this culture of data and were deliberate about it, I think this is why you've seen the 
the coverage uh, dramatically increased, the quality of the coverage dramatically increased, and why we've seen this 93% drop. It's mm. because people at every level, level had information that was actionable. What I love about the story you're telling is you literally, there's another guest we had on the show. His name's Dustin Homer. He works for Development Gateway. And we had this very same conversation about the feedback loop. And yeah. it's not necessarily about the data. It's not necessarily about the, the task of collecting it or sending it. It's the fact that a huge piece of it is that the data collector isn't included in the uh, the end result, right? And, <laughs> exactly. And if you or I were to, you know, if I were to go send my emails every day or you know write my reports and just sort of send them into a black hole, I would stop doing that, you know, eventually mm-hmm. if I never heard back or if I never had clients come back to me, et cetera. So it's, it's amazing that here we are, we're, we're discovering this now. And in what you're saying, okay, let's not, I'm not going to say that this has had all of the impact, but a dramatic impact on just even getting people out of bed to go do their job every day because it's like, wow, I'm making a difference. Yeah, it's really that full circle and delivering value back to the people who are entering the data is what we're seeing has a, a huge impact. So so one of the things that, um, Neil, I heard you say in your talk is that, you know, you've piloted it out and that, that, you know, you're seeing this 93% impact right now. There has been, there's a, there's a constant consternation in the humanitarian world or the development world of, of piloting pieces, right? That never get to scale and then never be. So what's, how are you now taking Zambia or walking them down the, the path to scaling and then just sort of, hey, this is, this is standard ops. This is what we do. Like, what's your plan for that? That's a great question. We're, we're doing that in a couple of ways. One is we partnered with PATH to launch a new campaign called Visualize No Malaria. And the purpose of the campaign is to bring more private sector support into malaria elimination objectives. So we... Steve said sort of early on when we were uh, chit-chatting about how we're trying to do things a bit differently as a foundation. So one of the things that we did with PATH is we partnered on this campaign and we launched a five-year campaign. We committed $500,000 over five years. And then we, we started inviting our corporate and technology partners to join us. And again, the goal is to really bring more private sector support into this malaria elimination objective. And making a five-year commitment gives PATH the sort of sure-footedness and stability to then, you know, work with the ministry to really pursue this objective. Um, we were also supporting the ministry itself, who had publicly announced that they want to be malaria-free by 2020. And I remember when I pitched this five-year grant internally here, I kept reminding people you can't eliminate malaria in a year. So giving annual grants is just a really ineffective way of solving a world problem like this. So we've got a, we have a ministry that's committed to the world that it wants to get there. We have a tremendously highly skilled partner in PATH that knows how to work with them and other folks to um, other organizations to get them there. And then we've committed for the long term to provide software and financial support and volunteers to do our part in bringing our core competency to the mix. And then we're actually inviting our business partners and customers to join us in supporting that. Right now, I believe, I don't have the latest count, but I believe we have six or seven technology and consulting partners who have joined the um, campaign. One thing we're doing that's really interesting is we're using Twilio in Zambia to push out text messages to let people know when new data is available, when new visualizations are available. And Twilio just recently committed to the full campaign. So they've committed uh, multiple years of no-cost SMS support to support this campaign through wow. 2020. That's a great, that's a great commitment. What? Yeah. Get, tell us, you know, we're going to put some of these visualizations up on the blog post when when we publish this episode. But Tell me, what would one of these visualizations tell me if I was either a data collector in the field or maybe on the opposite side, if I was an analyst at the ministry? Is it, is it where is malaria happening? Is it the causes of it? Like, what would I see? So what you would see is the first one that I love is this giant spike in 2014 when the community health workers were out in the field finding all these new malaria cases. And there's like 40,000 malaria cases. And then you see this precipitous drop to 2015 from 40,000 to 15 or 20,000 and another drop in uh, early 2016 down to 3,000. So you see this 
this dramatic sort of decrease in malaria cases, even after more cases were being diagnosed initially, which is cool. Um, but the more interesting one is a partner of ours, ours called Real Impact Analytics in Belgium has found a way to actually access mobile data, but in a way that protects the privacy of the individuals and the intellectual property of the mobile provider. So they've been able to map the movement of people in Zambia between districts, between essentially between cell towers. And when you overlay that movement map on top of a map that shows where the highest burdens of disease are, you can actually start seeing which districts that have a high burden of disease are exporting malaria to which other districts. And then you can do some predictive analysis and basically say, if we focus our resources on eliminating malaria in District 1, here's the estimated percent decrease of malaria cases in these other eight districts purely based on the movement of people between the districts. Mm. It's a map that just shows you can see the movement, you can see the burden of disease, um, and it's one of those things that makes almost instant sense the minute you see it. And that's the beauty of data visualization. Now, what's the discussion around the danger of that map in the, oh, crap, here's, you know, here's a district that's a burden of disease. Suddenly they are the untouchables. What's the thought process behind that? The thought process there is it's really up to the Ministry of Health and PATH to decide sort of who gets to see that data and in what context. So it's not necessarily something that's pushed out to the world. Mm. Um, it's something that they take very great care in deciding sort of, who, you know, who gets to see it. And even when we show it, we have to get permission to show it to people because it's not our data. Um, it's owned by the ministry. Sure, sure. But that's a really great question. One, one thing we invest in and as a foundation as well is the responsible and ethical use of data. So we partner with Stanford University on that. We also have partnered with the Responsible Data Forum on that. So we're trying to advance some of those responsible and ethical use of data policies and guidelines as well, just so as we're doing great work on one side, we're helping make sure it's done safely and ethically on the other side. Mm. You mentioned earlier that the people, the volunteers, you know, they've clearly had a gain. Not only are they able to bring their skills and experience to people in need, but then that experience for them is, is transformative and it's it's usually a very powerful uh, you know, a powerful event for them. I'm thinking about, you know, your your commercial application, your your software and your company in general. Are there any, have you come back from, let's say, Zambia or some of your other applications, especially on these larger mission grant programs, and said, holy crap, we, th this is something that, you know, our, again, 7-Eleven could use in their hot dog application. Or, you know, so, is there something that you've learned um, that you've brought back in that's transformed the software? Yeah, there's a couple things. So, We've had this really great team of eight volunteers from various consulting partners that uh, have been doing pro bono work on this project for more than a year. Um, they basically do weekly scrums and they go out and do a bunch of visualizations that really help advance these visualizations for the Ministry of Health and for PATH. Two of them actually went to Zambia and did workshops with Ministry of Health officials and health workers and other people on the ground and they actually learned a lot about sort of the difference between the assumptions they were making about what was needed when developing the visualizations and what's actually needed on the ground and sort of how you represent that in the culture and context of Zambia. So there was kind of a, a methodology learning there in terms of you know visualization, which was great. One thing that we're actually working on right now is there's an open source application called uh, DHIS2. It's used by a lot of ministries around the world to capture aggregate data global health data. And when the connection between Tableau and that open source system has been a bit difficult to, to pull off. And so one thing that we're do, working on right now is we're putting a spec together to actually build a connector between Tableau and DHIS2 so we can actually make it easier for these low middle income countries that are using the system to get data in Tableau and report on it. Yeah, sure. DHIS2, so that, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're super excited about that. You know, say that that brings me just to it to a, another thought is how have you experienced the challenge of overlap in some of these initiatives that you have? I'm just thinking, you know, when you're talking about DHIS2, you're thinking about data visualization, you're clearly not the only player out there. There's a lot of a push for innovation especially in technology as it relates to data 
in the humanitarian and development world. What is your, you know, what is your partnership scheme for that? What, you know, how are you coordinating? How are you putting it out there so that we're finding solutions rather than sort of having, you know, one or two or three of this, you know, different flavors in the same country or same area? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, Steve again. You know, one of the this is one of those areas where we get to cheat because the way I love Tableau cheating. is built. That's fantastic, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tableau is really the it's the Switzerland of data. It's designed so that you can bring in all sorts of different data from different sources, be it you know locally stored, online, cloud, um, you know, all sorts of hybrid deployments. You know, folks like Microsoft, Amazon. There's all sorts of direct connector. Salesforce is another one. You know, we've we're in this really great place where it's easier to start a conversation about collaboration than it is to to necessarily think about competition and a lot of the social impact work. And so, you know, we've got a couple of different initiatives that are all bubbling up in different places. You know, we recently announced something with with uh, it was really uh, led by the the folks at Box uh, called Impact Cloud, and it's it's a group of seven different cloud uh, software vendors that are all. We've sort of pre-configured a stack that's uh, optimized for disaster response and then are working with the good folks over at NetHope to make sure that within you know minutes or hours of, of a disaster, natural disaster taking place, you know, the stack is ready to turn on and, and available for all the organizations working in the country. So, you know, there is very much this culture of collaboration, I think, uh, in the software community. The Zambia project, there's actually some really interesting stuff that took place between Tableau and a company called Alteryx that does a lot of uh, data preparation. And then Mapbox, which a lot of folks are familiar with. You know, Mapbox and Alteryx both connect right up pretty easily with Tableau. And what we've been doing over the last few months is the Mapbox community has actually taken ownership of a volunteer project across to take the maps of the Livingstone District in southern Zambia. And we are tracing every man-made structure and natural elevation formation over i think it's six feet and what they're creating is the most detailed topographical map of the district that's that's imaginable and so what we're able to then do is take those custom shape files that are being built in mapbox and use them for predictive analytics do predictive analysis about how the disease could be moving based on uh, wetness. So being able to bring in weather data, taking this map box shape file and being able to actually just evaluate what the topographical wetness will be across the district. Um, you know, if it rains a little, a little bit more, a lot, and, and be able to actually get out ahead of the disease, not just be on top of it. So that's, you know, another great example of everybody's kind of coming into this as an honest broker and is ready to work together on a lot of these projects. Mm. So it's it's been a really interesting experience. And I think Neil and I are both kind of chuckling because it's there's not a huge community of people who do what we do, but we definitely are getting to know most of it. So well, anyone who's listened to the podcast yeah. for a while, it's, it's starting to get to be a pretty small community, right? <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even even your DHIS2 example, I'm like, wow, I've talked with like 20 people about, not on the podcast, but just, <laughs> you know, once you, once you dive into the field on this, which is, I think is both a good and bad thing, right? It's a good thing because that is the coordination. You know, you can get consensus and you can start to move things forward at the, the same time you, you can become insular. But, you know, I, I really appreciate, Steve, you putting that example on the table as well, because you can just going into that example, you can see the difference between looking at 7-Eleven hot dogs for the lack of uh, lack of bringing there. Sorry for the at the fault <laughs> of bringing that up again. But but, you know, it, it gives people the opportunity to say, wow, you know, we have these literally game changing tools at our fingers. Let's go do some game changing. You know, exactly. rather than drive profitability, you know, 0.06% again. And so you can just see yep. where, you know, wow, that if you wake up and you go out and you have that experience in Zambia or, or here in Bangkok or whatever, it's amazing that what, you know, as a volunteer or as, as the people who operate the foundation, what a difference that makes. Yeah. And, you know, there's actually a, an underlying point to your question, I think, that's super important. And that is tech companies have had a history of kind of parachuting into some remote region and dropping their technology and thinking we're going to come in and save the day. 
Um, or that the people will be like, hey, of course, we are totally understand. Yeah, they'll be like, yay, so and so's in town, and we get free stuff, and we can, you know, we're gonna, we're all gonna be alive tomorrow. It's and it's been done that way for a long time. What's happening now in the industry, which is really great, is we're listening to the people on the ground. We're actually letting the ministries run the projects. We're we're respecting the sort of cultural knowledge and the experience they have. So you're not finding like this competitive spirit and people trying to kind of elbow each other out for market domination and that kind of thing. The other thing that's happening is just there's a greater respect among the participants. And so, for example, people kept asking us, you know, would you please build a connector for DHIS2? I talked with the lead developer of DHIS2 and I said, hey, we're getting asked this question. Can you check with the DHIS2 community and you know, let me know what did people, what would people in the community think if we created a Tableau connector for it? Because DHIS2 has analytics built in, obviously because it's open source and they have lots of priorities. They're not necessarily as advanced as Tableau because it's our, it's our only thing we do really well. But it, we sort of stepped in with respect for the community that had developed. We asked permission to participate, and now we're participating. And that's a lot different than tech companies kind of bull in a China chop approach that they used in the past where they would just come in and blow everybody else out of the water who had been working for years to mm-hmm. make a difference. But there's two questions I always ask at the end of every show and it's very interested to hear your answers to them. One is who do you pay attention to either individually or as the foundation to stay abreast? I mean, obviously you get grant applications, you get people coming to you. That's part of your mechanism, but I'm thinking more along the lines of trends of what's the next big thing, of where are the big challenges. Are there blogs you follow, magazines you read, conferences you have to attend? I'll start, and Steve's got his list, I'm sure. We, um, the first thing is that we have really great relationships with a lot of organization, sort of networks of organizations. So first of all, we listen to our strong partners like PATH, and they help us navigate and find the best opportunities for us in the global health space. Um, we talk to other foundations who make referrals. Um, in terms of blogs and so on, um, we pay. I look at Markets for Good. We do work with uh, Stanford Social Innovation Review. Uh, we're focused this year on some of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and so we. I also keep up on sort of all the different sites that are uh, wrapped up around the SDGs. But those are really my kind of main sites that I go to. Steve might have some as well. Yeah, I you know I spend a lot of time you know I get Global Daily every day, new UN Foundation. It's a terrific aggregator, and then it's actually a lot of conversations. We've gotten very involved with the Sustainable Development Goal community over the over the last year. It kind of shouldn't be surprising any anything with two hundred and thirty underlying indicators and metrics <laughs> is kind of right up Tableau's alley. Sure, sure. But it's really tapping in with that community. We're part of the Global Partnership for Sustainable Development Data. And that, uh, you know, it's a UN-affiliated group. I think they're moving the Secretariat over to London as we speak. That community has been terrific uh, as a resource of just sort of identifying what's going on at the latest, you know, all sorts of the, the conversations that are not just about development, not just about data, but really at the intersection of the two. You know, they had a big side event last or two weeks ago during UN General Assembly Week. And, and, you know, being able to sit with folks from the national statistic offices talking about what their national development plans look like and how those do and, and in some cases don't line up very well with sustainable development goals. You know, those conversations are, are invaluable. So that community has been a, a terrific resource for us as well. And then I think the other one I really point to is, you know, a lot of our own staff and partners. Not a day goes by where I don't have a conversation with somebody who makes the comment, yeah, before I came to Tableau, I worked at blank. It's been a terrific learning for me, just the the backgrounds that a lot of our own employees have. You know, we have a colleague here, a gentleman by the name of Joseph Mutale, who's actually Zambian. And he, you know, is is a terrific resource. I was just going to say, yeah. wow, that's that's yeah. perfect. You know, and it's it's he's been great. You know, through the whole process, he's he's uh, you know provided tremendous input as we're thinking things through. So you know, that's a really great reservoir for us. I think you know, as a corporate funder, 
for us to try to create a silo makes no sense. To tap the the vast resources of a global company with offices all over the world, we can be much smarter with not just the grant making, but our overall the impact we're having. So yeah, you know, we we talk about we've got a lot of uh, organization. DevX is another one we're really good at uh, staying on top of. Obviously. We're all probably pretty familiar with the stuff that comes up regularly in The Guardian. You know, it, it all comes across our desks on a pretty regular basis. So my last question is one where it's an opportunity for you both to truly geek out a little bit. And that, you know, if you're thinking outside the Tableau box for just a second, um, you know, and you spend most of your time thinking about data visualization, is there another innovation, another thing, another process, another topic that you know gets you excited that you think everybody else should know about that's up and coming that's just kind of you know, it's out there you know i'll start i think one of the big things that's getting us excited uh or me personally is a lot of the natural language processing so if you think about we can go back to zambia or one of the other projects the, the ability to reduce barriers between the people inputting data and the people benefiting from it Natural language processing really is the next step in that. If, if you're taking as much form and structure out of somebody's interaction with the data as possible, that's really a, a terrific opportunity for us. Neil, I'll, I'll let you talk about some of the sensors work, the sort of using sensors. Uh, I know that's a big area where you're, you're pretty passionate about it. We're excited. You know, people are using sensors all over everywhere now. They're not really as ubiquitous in developing nations as they could be, but there are companies out there developing sensors that sort of help implementing organizations understand sort of are the interventions they're using actually working, being used and working. So an example is there are sensors that if a chlorination station has been put into a village to help purify the water, the sensors can tell are the stations being used, are they being used properly, are the, you know, do they have supply and that kind of thing? Um, there's a group called Potavita here in Seattle that has a sensor that sits in a giant 10-liter plastic bag. And you put water in the bag, and the sensor, if the water is left in the sun long enough, that it will kill all the microorganisms in the water. So the sensor actually helps them understand, like, is it being used properly? Is it in the sun long enough? And all of that. So what I'm excited about is just the data is being collected and it's being delivered back to decision makers in a way where they can really optimize how they're deploying their resources and they can understand are the interventions working or not working. And it's not one of those things in like in the past where you would do something for a year and then you'd go do, you know, a, a control test or an anal deep long analysis and figure out did that thing we do last year work? It's something that you actually can know on a daily basis if what you're doing is working. And I'm super excited about that. Neil and Steve, thank you so very much for taking the time to speak with us on the show today. Thank you very much. It's been fun. It's been great. You've been listening to the Terms of Reference podcast from aidpreneur.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes.